It's Tuesday, November 2nd, and you've got Oz in your ears. Don't forget to vote. Ah, there's that rhythm, and it uh, ushers in Election Day, the midterm election that everybody's either happy or worried about, or unaware of, if I guess they live in a cave. Dave, I wasn't aware, in fact, that here in the state of Washington, I was going to say, where's my polling place? Where do I go down the place with a little flag? There are no polling places. It's all mail-in in this state. All right. Yep. And uh, and I haven't met anybody who likes it except maybe the county officials. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's very, I used to go to, uh, you know, the church yeah. and in the meeting hall and you'd see the old ladies and they'd know who you were and you'd sign your name right. and people would go in and they'd actually vote. Yes. Now you can, you know, you can vote uh, 2012. You could probably vote in Arkansas and Tennessee and Kentucky or wherever they have these, you know, advanced voting available in the supermarket. You know, right. come on. It's, this is my answer to the whole thing. It's, it's over as of today. It's over. I already said no more money. Right. You've got not one dollar from me. You could do this without me. Go get Meg Whitman's money. And, and poorly spent. Uh, the the whole forest, the whole flower garden of those signs are going to go down. Oh. They've been so extreme because of this whole Tea Partyism, you know, bankrupting us since 1992. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Dagger in the heart. I, right. I almost expected to see it's the Jews. You know? <laughs> A flood of homemade signs yeah. suddenly in invade it was so clearly tea party money you know oh let's put a lot of these down here i i still like the mormon couple who are running for office in uh, in uh, island county i think one's treasurer and one's something else and they're these couples uh, you know they're tea partyers who are completely opposed to government they're running for government jobs i know who knows we'll let you know if they win we'll give you the the sheriff will be here with the election results i'm sure Oh, yeah, when old the sheriff axe handled. When, when you know? that time comes. In the meantime, yeah, we had to uh, mail in. Uh, I've already mailed ballots. mine in also. I, 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 I got hip. But I actually drove it up to Coopville with a few other people's ballots who are a little bit late, who well, haven't I, figured I, it out, I, and, I, and dropped it off. I can beat you on that. I drove all the way down to Orange in Orange County, California, to deliver Orson's ballot to him Ooh. so he could vote. I figure it's going to be pretty narrow up here. We need all we can get. Yeah, it looks like it looks like government. Governor Moonbeam is going to is going to going to make it happen. I, I knew that Meg Whitman was up against the canniest politician in America. You just don't ever want to underrate Jerry Brown. You know, and all that money. Yeah, we were, I was 162 talk, million. I was talking to the judge this morning in the coffee house, yeah. you know, which is now called the Timbuktu. So I'm in the Timbuktu talking to the judge. <laughs> About money spent on, I said, uh, you you don't have anybody, you, you haven't had anybody running against you. No, it's, it's, uh, no it's only, only once, and that was a long time ago. He's yeah. unopposed, yeah. you know. But uh, we, we were talking about the volume of money that has gone into the campaigns on the island, which is absolutely true. So it's in, ev in not, if not in every precinct, it's in, you know, South Whidbey Island, a critical place because everybody here is a liberal and artist, you know, and, and, and it's only the large landowners. Have you noticed that? Big tracts of land have big signs for 
Gov- Rossi for governor and all that. Oh, I tell you, it's it's been quite a time, and it's been a it's been a real political low. I've said it's a hoot, and it has been a hoot because you can't you don't get Christine O'Donnell, Rand Paul, Sharon Angle, uh, what's his name, uh, up uh, Bob Miller or Bill Miller, or whatever it is, up in uh, up in Alaska, et cetera, et cetera, all at once. I mean, I tell you, David, yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point, yeah. the, the middle class. I love the fact the politicians. Obama's one of them. I mean, I, I want to call him and say, hey, can you? You talk about the poor just once or twice instead of it's always about the middle class jobs, the middle class. What about the poor? It's the reason is the poor don't vote, of course, is that the middle class are finally going to have to figure out we've come out of this bubble in serious trouble. They were part of it. We're part of it. We did. It's not just the not me. We're part of the problem. We've got to solve it. And then maybe we will stop you know, supporting these extraordinarily incompetent crazies to run for important, important positions in the government. These people are totally unqualified. Well, that doesn't seem to matter. I know. Lack of Why qualification. Doesn't it, Why doesn't it matter, Dave? It's because people are so frustrated, magical thinking steps in and they say, well, maybe this person is crazy enough to make it happen. And an official for, from, uh, you know, a big corporation who can fire anybody hire anybody, change, you know, the conditions of employment at will is not really a suitable governor of a state where you can't do anything at all, particularly in California. I know. I mean, you know, that Jerry Brown, the reason that he's running is that he comes from a history of service. He also was a Jesuit. He also was in a monastery for a while. He has a little sense of that idea of the common wheel yeah. uh, running against, right, a woman who is just a CEO. It's a figure head of a corporation which is a legal fiction. And all the money she spent has gone to the, the like the three people who own the media in the world. Yeah, she might have just Same. as well, Circular. driven her car to Murdoch's door, opened the trunk, and given him the money. Maybe, ah, bags of money. Bags, bags and suitcases and satchels. Okay, no more money. That's that's the first thing. And, and, uh, and the second thing is, please, no more elections. No more campaigns, I mean. For no a more while. campaigns. Never? No, I think 60 days. Let's go on the... The British model here. Oh, I mean, campaigns should only last campaigns. Yes, sixty days, and that's being generous because isn't everybody in America sick of it? Even the candidates. Oh God! Come on. So it it ends today. Let it end today. No more money and no more time. I just read that the top 74 wage earners in this country made as much in 2009 as the 19 million lowest paid American workers. Why don't we start our own tea party around that? These are tea party times. Boston was occupied by the British. We're occupied by corporate America and the super rich. England occupied America to protect a major market. Corporate America occupies this country to protect the market it rigged for the last 75 years. What's today's metaphor for the bales of tea that the Mohawks threw into the bay in 1773? How about the corporate American lifestyle? Can we dress up like capable human beings instead of post-apocalyptic plague dandies, walk over to the brink, and toss that corrupt and unsustainable lifestyle overboard? Say yes to that, and we can meet up on Bunker Hill. (music) 
If by any chance there is anybody out there listening to Oz who has not made up their mind who they're going to vote for or what's important, Phil Proctor passed this on to me. It's called Eight Conservative Lies About the Democrats and Obama. And this is from Dave Johnson, Campaign for America's Future. So listen up if you haven't made up your mind. There are a number of things the public knows as we head into the election that are just false. If people elect leaders based on false information, the things those leaders do in office will not be what the public expects. Okay, here are eight conservative lies. One, President Obama tripled the deficit. We hear that all the time. Reality, Bush's last budget had a $1.416 trillion deficit. Obama's first budget reduced that to $1.29 trillion. Lie number two, President Obama raised taxes, which hurts the economy. Reality, Obama cut taxes. 40% of the stimulus was wasted on tax cuts, which only create debt, which is why it was so much less effective than it could have been. Yeah, but if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have gotten the votes. President Obama, lie three, bailed out the banks. Reality, while many people conflate the stimulus with the bank bailouts, the bank bailouts were requested by President Bush and his Treasury Secretary, former Goldman Sachs CEO, Henry Paulson. Paulson also wanted the bailouts to be non-reviewable by any court or any agency. <laughs> Dream on. The bailouts passed and began before the 2008 election of President Obama. Four, lie number four, the stimulus didn't work. Reality, the stimulus worked, but was not enough. In fact, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the stimulus raised employment by between 1.4 million and 3.3 million jobs. And a lot of what the stimulus is going to do is down the line. So, you know, keep a perspective. This is going to change America if there's an America left to change. Lie number five, businesses will hire if they get tax cuts. Reality, a business hires the right number of employees to meet demand. Having extra cash does not cause a business to hire, but a business that has a demand for what it does will find the money to hire. Businesses want customers, not tax cuts. Lie number six, health care reform costs $1 trillion. Reality, the health care reform reduces government deficits by $138 billion. Lie number seven, Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. It's going broke. People live longer, fewer workers per retiree, etc., etc. Reality, Social Security has run a surplus since it began, has a trust fund in the trillions, is completely sound for at least 25 more years, and cannot legally borrow, so cannot contribute to the deficit. Compare that to the military budget. Life expectancy is only longer because fewer babies die. People who reach 65 live about the same number of years as they used to. Lie number eight, government spending takes money out of the economy. Reality, government is we, the people, and the money it spends on we, the people. Many people do not know that it's the government that builds the roads, airports, ports, courts, schools, and other things that are the soil in which business thrives. Many people think that all government spending is on welfare and foreign aid when that is only a small part of the government's budget. If there's only one person out there that I've turned around by exposing these eight lies, genug! Okay, it's election day, Dave. What sort of election has it been? Well, from let's take one particular perspective. After rating hundreds of claims in this election, um, TV ads, debates, interviews, mailing, stuff like that, there's this the organization called PolitiFact, and it gives an overall truthometer. Rating. Oh, I like that. The truthometer Truth. rating for this entire midterm campaign yeah. is 
Barely true. Barely oh, true. Oh, yeah, that's bad news. I mean, you can say- That's like- Okay, oh, no, I don't even know. That's like one, wait, two, three, four, five, one. I mean, it's just nothing. <laughs> barely true. It's like a D. Barely it really true. Is. Barely it's true. Like a, barely yeah. passing. In a majority of claims, they say, we and our eight state partners check this fall, um, found a grain of truth, but it was exaggerated, twisted, or distorted in most of the ads. We define barely true as a statement containing some element of truth, but it ignores critical facts that would give a different impression. So it's got a, a soupçon of truth, but then it's twisted, distorted, <clears throat> salted, strained. It's fast food made out of... Uh, At an angle. Yeah. To see how the truth got squeezed, just compare our historical averages with our numbers since... This is just since September 1st, when the campaign kicked into high gear. Over the 33-year history of this thing called PolitiFact, we, they say, we've occasionally used the same methodology to choose uh, facts to check. We pick claims that uh, we believe voters are curious about. If we think a voter would say, is that true? Then we'll fact check it. Using that approach, true ratings have steadily accounted for 20% of our 2,500 truth-a-meter rulings, true ratings. But since September 1st, that's gone down from 20% to 10%. 10% true. Yeah. As the true ratings hmm. have declined, we've seen an increase in barely true from 15% to 21%, as well as an increase in false pants on fire ratings. <laughs> I, liar, liar, from 28% to 34%. One out of every three ads out there is lying. Oh, Just plain liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, is it, That's the high end of the truthometer, is oh, it? Oh, uh, yeah. That's where it starts to smoke. All right? All right. The numbers illustrate what our fact checkers see every day. The claims often begin with a kernel of truth, but the campaign stretch it, twist it, and sometimes blow it up. Take a spin through our barely true items, and you'll see some examples. I'm just doing a couple of these. Okay. Republican Christine O'Donnell, the witch, right, who did the dirty on the bloodstained altar, right. claimed that Chris Coons, her Democratic opponent for Delaware's U.S. Senate seat, thought a 9-11 call should be taxed. But we found that was a big stretch because landline telephones have long taxed, been taxed to support 9-11 service. What Coons did was extend the tax to cell phones because of a sharp increase in their use for 9-11 calls. All right. Uh huh. So she's just trying to scare people. Yeah. Yeah. You'd yeah, think yeah, yeah. that it's not enough to say, you know, I don't agree with the fact that that cell phones should also be charged for nine eleven calls. That's a point, you know. But it doesn't scare people. All right. In California, Senator Barbara Boxer claimed that Republican challenger Carly Fiorina's plan would mean slashing Social Security and Medicare. But we found there was sketchy evidence to support that fiorina hadn't said much about her ideas on social security and medicare and what she had said didn't provide proof of slashing right she you know like most of them said nothing all right lately a growing number of claims haven't even risen to the level of barely true in the past two weeks we've seen a surge of statements so wrong that they've earned false and pants on fire here's two of them in wisconsin republican reed ribble well, right off the bat, Reed Ribble. Do you want? Do you want to be represented in Congress by a guy named? That's Reed Ripple. Ripple. Rep Reed Ripple. Reed Ripple. Well, Rep Reed Ripple earned yep. a pants on fire for claiming I lost my health insurance and doctor because of Obamacare, but his insurance company actually decided to get out of the health insurance business <laughs> years ago. Okay. During an appearance on the Daily Show, Representative Eric uh, Cantor, he's the, the number two guy right under Boehmer, you know, the one that also put Lot down because Cantor is Jewish and Lot's wearing the SS thing. The number two House Republican claimed that in the past two years, Democrats spent more money than this country has spent in the past 200 years combined. We sliced the numbers many different ways, but found the claim ridiculously fault and false and rated it 
pants on fire. Pants on fire. Okay, More last. muddy in the lamb. Boy. Yeah, I mean, in, in a debate for the West Virginia Senate seat, Republican John Race, I think it's Race, R-A-E-S-E, claimed that under the new health care law, patients must first meet with a bureaucrat. We found that was another ridiculous <laughs> falsehead about the health care law. There, you know, that's it, man. Things are, and they say it, the elections today, it isn't going to get any more truthful. And that's not a lie. Newsweek may have good news for the Dems. Well, you know, I hope so. I hope we can drain some of the blood out of the bloodbath. Despite doomsaying about Democrats' chances in the midterms, the latest Newsweek poll shows that they remain in a close race with the Republicans 12 days before Election Day, while the president's approval ratings have climbed sharply. The poll finds that 48% of registered voters would be more likely to vote for Democrats compared with 42% who lean Republican. Those numbers are similar to those in the last Newsweek poll, which found Democrats favored 48 to 43 President Obama's approval ratings have jumped substantially, crossing the magic halfway threshold to 54%, up from 48% in late September, while the portion of respondents who disapprove of the president dropped to 40%, and that's the lowest disapproval rating in a Newsweek poll since February of 2010. However, his approval rating, which is notably higher than many recent polls of the president's popularity, may be evidence of a closing enthusiasm gap, more than a sea change in voter attitudes, and may not substantially affect Democrats' fortunes come Election Day. In 1994, Newsweek polls showed a similar steep climb in President Clinton's approval between late September and late October, but Democrats still suffered a rout in the midterms. While two-thirds of self-identified Republican voters say they've given a lot or some thought to the election, 62% of Democrats say they have. This result indicates that the difference in enthusiasm between Democrats and Republican voters may be less stark than some other polls have suggested. A small plurality of registered voters, 48 to 43 percent, would prefer the Democrats keep control of Congress. The new survey also offers a morsel of evidence the Democrats' strategy of gaining an edge among early voters might be succeeding. They hold a 10-point lead among those who have already voted, 52 to 42. Early voting, which has steadily gained popularity in recent years, is expected to have an impact on the election, with 3 in 10 voters expected to cast ballots with 3 in 10 voters expected to cast ballots before November 2nd. Pollster Larry Hugick says that while Republicans are still likely to come out on top on November 2nd, the results of the new poll show it might not be the runaway domination some commentators have suggested. The idea that the Democrats are just going to sit this one out doesn't seem very likely, he says. While there's no question that Republicans are going to pick up seats, the question is, how many? One factor feeding excitement for the GOP, the Tea Party. A quarter of likely voters, 24%, say they support the movement, while 27% of likely voters oppose it. Among Tea Party supporters, two-thirds are Republicans, but 9 in 10 intend to vote for Republican candidates for Congress. So two-thirds of them are Republican, but they're all going to vote for Republicans regardless, because they're kind of a regardless crowd. 81% of Tea Party backers oppose the bank bailouts, 90% oppose health care reform, and 85% think the economic stimulus was bad for the country. Idiots. Among the entire sample of voters, two-thirds look unfavorably on the bailouts, but support and opposition for the stimulus and health care reform are roughly equal and within the margin of error. 
So the Tea Party is grossly to the right on those issues. On economic issues, 41% say they are concerned about the economy as a whole, while unemployment and the federal deficit loom large for a quarter of voters each. And one voter in 10 says taxes are more important to them than anything else. Good news for Republicans, the GOP has pulled even on the question of which party is handling the economy better. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the Republicans have, are pulling off a miracle. They are literally getting good votes on the economy by doing nothing. They are getting votes because the other guy is actually in power and has to deal with it without any help whatsoever from the opposition. That is what's putting the GOP over the top. We are in big, mucho, honcho, humongous trouble. More stories about Satan's little handy helper from uh, Talking Points Memo. The owner of the bank used by American Crossroads also owns a nursing home that has been charged by Kentucky Attorney General and Senate candidate John Conway with failure to report the sexual abuse of one of its patients. The Carl Rove back super PAC American Crossroads, as the Washington Post noted yesterday, uses a small Kentucky bank for its financial dealings. Forked Bank based in Lexington, Kentucky, is owned by Terry Fort, who also owns several other businesses, including a chain of nursing homes. Now we wonder why a pact with such money flowing in would choose such a tiny bank. Must be a reason. Carl does everything for a reason. One of them, one of these nursing homes that Fort owns, Hazard Nursing Homes, Inc., would you put your mom or dad in a place called Hazard? was charged in August with failure to report abuse after one of its 88-year-old female residents who has Alzheimer's was allegedly sexually abused by a male resident. The home was allegedly told of the abuse in 2009, but never reported it to authorities. It was Conway, the Democratic opponent of Crossroads-backed Rand Paul, who brought the charges. The reports of abuse have been highly publicized in the Kentucky press months earlier. Crossroads has spent $1.2 million on anti-Conway ads in Kentucky, forked a major donor who, along with relatives, associates, and employees, has given $1.1 million to political campaigns since 2002, has given $2,400 to Paul, and bundled more than $21,000 for the candidate from employees in just the last five days of June, according to the Louisville Courier-Journal. And how do you think he got them to spend all that money? How, did he, how do you think he got the employees who don't earn a lot of money to bundle $21,000? Did he threaten them? Oh, no. It is my hope, this is Conway speaking, that today's charges send a message to nursing home operators and administrators that they have an obligation to notify authorities if a resident is abused while in their care, Conway said while announcing the charges. The nursing home and its administrator, Sheila Noe, pleaded not guilty to the charges last month. Carl keeps such great company. Gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. Gonna put my finger on you. So, 
I am lying awake with a midterm headache. My psyche is racked with anxiety. I am badly confused and feel terribly used by the fat cats who run our society. I'm anxious and frightened. My terror is heightened by the news that comes out of Fox Cable. All pompous and smiley, that bastard O'Reilly spouts off from his Tower of Babel. I'm brimming with dread from each prim talking head. I can't even look at Sean Hannity. He's all certain and sure as he spreads his manure. I well could be losing my sanity. So I fall off to sleep in the wake of that creep and his legion of logical errors. And the dreams that I dream of the Dems getting creamed are beset with electoral terrors. I see myself flying in space and I'm eyeing my countrymen making decisions. From the west to the east, from the most to the least, it's a picture of rents and divisions. There is want, there is waste, and a lack of good taste. All is calumny, cant, and profanities. The pictures and scenes on the zines and the screens are an incessant stew of inanities. In Alaska, Murkowski may soon lose her house key to the ladies' room back at the Senate. The Tea Party anger will probably hang her like it did back in Utah to Bennett. Jerry Brown's using Whitman's own words as his hitman. The moonbeam outthought and outfoxed her. In the Senate arena is Carly Fiorina and a heavyweight champion boxer. McCain and Jan Brewer, no sane man would screw her, are getting that dang fence erected. They talk law and order, but down at the border, the visitors pass undetected. Harry reads in a tangle with Miss Sharon Angle, the queen of press conference evasion, who states without panic to a school of Hispanics that somehow they all seem so Asian. The millionaire Johnson, who's up in Wisconsin giving fine gold a regular whipping says he thinks global warming is sunspots performing hey dude i've just got to be tripping paladino the porker wants to govern new yorkers campaigning from upstate to zay bars when he's not cursing homos or losing to cuomo he runs buffalo's two hottest gay bars there's christine the witch the tea party bitch the first to take moral offendment who was stunned in a rate when she learned church and state were cut loose in the premier amendment And then last of all, there's the son of Ron Paul trying out as a good Christian liver since the story that broke of the girl he got stoked and made bow down to God in the river. I wake up at last, the nightmare has passed, and there's light streaming in through the curtain. In the clear glow of dawn, I feel hope coming on, and of one thing I know I am certain. We've come out of a bubble in serious trouble, the goo in the gulf's killing fishes. The money is hoarded, all Main Street is boarded, the vibe in the hood's getting vicious. If we don't fight for health, teach our kids, spread the wealth, we're all going to drown in this drama. Just remember, my friends, as the darkness descends, we've got 2012 and Obama. This is from Talking Points Memo, Dave. Um, In a new web video, you may have seen it just out from the Kentucky Democratic Party, the stomping of that MoveOn.org activist by a county coordinator for Rand Paul's Senate campaign is turned into a metaphor for ending federal breast cancer research, the elimination of mine safety laws, an end to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and a $2,000 boost in the Medicare deductible, among other things. Rand Paul, stomping on you, the video reads. Stomping on (laughs) Kentucky. Seems Democrats have decided to politicize politicize (laughs) the allegedly criminal assault on activist Lorene Valley. Did you see it where this I, guy's I, stomping on her I, head? I saw, yes, yes. It's, um, it's well, yeah. I mean, she was going to pie him or something, right? I mean, we're not sure. I don't see, um, whatever no, it was, what, they what stomped it, her bad. What it they said, hurt her. Yeah, yeah. So what it said was that they she, she was going to give him a medal or something. That's what I read in the paper on the story. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it was like a pie act, you know, pie in the face act. Yeah, but still, you know, so Paul has, of yeah, course, made maybe it, they act, you know, on the weekends, they have another job. These, uh, on Paul Scott's, you know, they could be uh, shining their shoes. And, yeah, you know, Paul's the, made it easy for this sort of stuff to run because he's refused 
well, he was slow to condemn the attack, yeah. although he disassociated himself from the guy who did it, but he, this guy Profit, but has decided to keep the $2,000 Profit gave him for his campaign. Still, it's pretty strange <laughs> to watch a brutal physical assault turned into a message about the fair tax. Nevertheless, Democrats in Kentucky have made their choice, and their choice is to try and win with the Kentucky Stomp. The Kentucky Stomp. Oh, All man. right. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, you can't get away with anything anymore. Everybody's got a camera in there. Everybody's watching. A- everybody's watching. It's a good thing. Else. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. It certainly is a good thing in this country, and it's a good thing everywhere. We, you know, China. Like yeah. it's a good thing in China. Well, you know, a long time ago, Sony announced that they were putting a discrete internet address into each piece of equipment that they build, so that it would be internet ready. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is good because then you can no longer in Bosnia beat up that woman in the closet because the coat hanger's watching. I mean, it's everything's going to be watching. Everything it, is. It's yeah. okay. People yeah. have a lack of privacy. Well, yeah, and in some cases, lack of privacy saves people's lives. Well, I'll tell you one device that we have to say goodbye to. Was that the Sony Walkman? It's gone. It is gone. They've sold the last one. Yours out there. If you have one, it's worthless. Throw it away. Throw it away. Walk (laughs) away.
Ah, midterm misery. New York Times. Critical parts of the coalition that delivered President Obama to the White House in 2008 and gave Democrats control of Congress in 2006 are switching their allegiance to the Republicans in the final phase of the midterm congressional elections, according to the latest New York Times CBS News poll. Republicans have wiped out the advantage held by Democrats in recent election cycles among women, Roman Catholics, less affluent Americans, and independents. This this breaks my heart. I mean, these people are changing their allegiance uh, and and working against their own self-interests. All of these groups broke for Mr. Obama in 2008 and for congressional Democrats when they grabbed both chambers from the Republicans four years ago, according to exit polls. If women choose Republicans over Democrats in House races on Tuesday, it will be the first time they have done so since exit polls began tracking the breakdown in 1982. The poll provides a pre-election day glimpse of a nation so politically disquieted and disappointed in its current trajectory, it won't take responsibility for the fact it put itself there, that 57% of the registered voters surveyed say they were more willing to take a chance this year on a candidate with little previous political experience. Ah, yes. Let's turn the House of Representatives into a reality show. More than a quarter of them said they were even willing to back a candidate who holds some views that seem extreme. Do I get a whiff of Germany in 1934 here? On the issue most driving the campaign, the economy, Republicans have erased the traditional advantage held by Democrats as the party seen as better able to create jobs. The parties are now even on that measure. And what jobs have the GOP created by saying no and doing nothing? What can I say about an electorate that is just so uninformed? I don't like stupid people. By a wide range, Republicans continue to be seen as the party better able to reduce the federal budget deficit, as if that's the real issue. The public wants compromise from both sides, though it thinks Mr. Obama will, will do more than in that area than the Republicans. Yet, for all of its general unhappiness, the electorate does not seem to be offering any clear guidance for Mr. Obama and the incoming Congress, whoever controls it on the big issues. They're just unhappy and angry and, and losing their self-esteem and pointing their fingers at the not-me, but they don't have any idea about what they want to do to solve it. They're just dumb. While almost 9 in 10 respondents said they considered government spending to be an important issue, and more than half said they favored smaller government offering fewer services, whatever that means, there was no consensus on what programs should be cut. There was clear opposition to addressing one of the government's biggest long-term challenges, the growing costs of paying Social Security benefits by raising the retirement age or reducing benefits for future retirees, support for one of Mr. Obama's main economic proposals, raising taxes on income above $250,000 a year has declined substantially over the course of this year. For some reason, those who will never see any advantage from these, uh, these tax cuts, who live in a country that needs the money, somehow are losing their sense of their own best interest and the best interests of this country. It's, it confuses me. I am badly confused and feeling 
badly used by the fat cats who are running this country. Though Republicans have managed to keep Democrats on the defensive over the health care plan they enacted this year, the poll also shows Americans remain divided over Republican promises to repeal it. 45% said the law should stand and 41% said it should go. That 41% is going to decline. That's one thing the Republicans aren't going to be able to do is dismantle health care. But they're going to spend a lot of precious time and money trying. A higher percentage of Americans continue to have a more favorable opinion of the Democratic Party than of the Republican Party, with 46% favoring Democrats and 41% favoring the Republicans. Very fine. But the Republicans' favorability rating in the in this uh, New York New York Times uh, you know, C- C- CBS poll is at its highest level since September of 2006 and for no good reason. Mr. Obama's approval rating remains below 50%. It's 43% amongst registered voters, which is about where Bill Clinton was in 94. Yet nearly 60% of Americans were optimistic about Mr. Obama's next two years in office. Yeah, and they're going to put Republicans in charge of the, uh, <laughs> the House to make it easier for him. And 70% said the economic slump is temporary. Oh, I'd like to smoke what they're smoking. Half said the economy was where they expected it would be at this point, and less than 10% blamed the current administration for the state of the economy, leaving the onus on former President George W. Bush and Wall Street. But they're still going to vote for the know-nothings and the naysayers? Huh. Like several other national polls, the latest time CBS poll shows a considerable enthusiasm gap between Republicans and Democrats. Six in 10 Republicans said they were more enthusiastic about voting this year than usual. Four in 10 Democrats said the same. Just what are they enthusiastic about? Hey, uh, if you have a moment, uh, we'd love for you to join us on Twitter. This is a a whole new social network outreach that we're getting into. Uh, And I think Twitter is is a really good way for people to meet each other and to know Oz and to spread Oz. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Oz Network and click on the follow button. And we'll be making some announcements on Twitter soon and you won't want to miss them. Okay, well, even if you do want to miss them, go up because that's your choice. From Politico, Tea Party-backed outsider candidates became the superstars of the midterm elections, drawing national attention after big Republican Senate primary wins and leading Tea Partiers to pour millions into those campaigns seeking credibility. But on November 2nd, the Tea Party itself could get a mixed return on those investments. On Election Day, several candidates stamped with a Tea Party seal of approval will either be locked in statistical ties with their Democratic opponents or sinking in the polls despite well-funded war chests and endorsements from influential conservatives like former Alaska Governor Sarah the Quitter Palin and Senator Jim the Ayatollah DeMint. In several cases, the candidate's staunchly conservative views, thin political credentials, and lack of campaign experience, the same assets that helped them upset the GOP status quo, have become liabilities in the general election. That shift has allowed Democrats to remain competitive in a down election year and could help them retain control of the Senate. It has also forced Republicans to make tough decisions about where to allocate its resources, and it could blunt the Tea Party's much-anticipated impact when the Senate reconvenes in January. The marquee race is in Nevada, where Tea Party favorite Sharon Angle is struggling to unseat Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, even though Angle raised $14 million in the third quarter alone, and Reid's unfavorable rating languishes at 53%. 
But Angle's difficulties in Nevada mirror other big-name Tea Party-supported Republican Senate nominees. Joe Miller in Alaska, Rand Paul in Kentucky, Colorado's Ken Buck and Delaware's Christine O'Donnell, who is running for Vice President Joe Biden's old seat. In Nevada, almost every public poll taken this month has given Angle a narrow lead over Reid, with the most recent survey showing her with a 2 to 3 per percentage point advantage, a statistical dead heat. Angle had been leading Reid, but a gaff-ridden summer, she suggested disqualified conservatives might use Second Amendment remedies, and argued that the Constitution doesn't explicitly separate church and state, led some Republicans to question whether she was ready for prime time. And the candidate herself all but disappeared from the campaign trail for several weeks to retool. In Alaska, Miller vanquished incumbent Lisa Murkowski in the GOP Senate primary with help from the Tea Party Express, which poured about 600000 into the race, a fortune in a state like Alaska. Miller, a political novice, held an early double-digit lead over unknown Democrat Scott McAdams and Murkowski, who refused to close ranks behind Miller and is running a write-in campaign. But Miller has stumbled badly, tripped by questions about his employment history, conflicts between his public statements and personal experience on unemployment and public health care, and his decision not to talk to the press. It didn't help when his private bodyguards detained and handcuffed a reporter at a campaign appearance, making headlines and further eroding his lead. Polls now show Miller and Murkowski in a virtual tie with the McAdams a close third. Update, he is now losing to Murkowski. In Kentucky, Paul, a successful eye surgeon, came from behind to defeat Trey Grayson, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's hand-picked candidate to succeed retiring Republican Senator Jim Bunning, who was a great pitcher and an awful senator. And to win the GOP Senate primary last May with big Tea Party support and a key endorsement from DeMint, who has become a conservative kingmaker. Almost six months later, however, Paul is struggling to break away from his underdog Democratic nominee Jack Conway, even though Kentucky hasn't sent a Democrat to the Senate in more than a decade. Heartened by the neck-and-neck -neck race, caused in part by Paul's controversial statements on the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and his accidents happen stance on the BP oil spill, the Democratic Party has dumped millions into Conway's campaign looking for a stunning upset. Colorado GOP Senate nominee Buck followed the same path as Miller, Angle, and Paul to win the Republican Senate nomination. He ran further to the right, won over the Tea Party, and came from obscurity to upend Jane Norton, an establishment Republican candidate who raised about two million more than he did. Buck promptly opened up an early eight-point lead against Michael Bennett, the incumbent Democrat with close ties to the White House. But that advantage has largely evaporated, and recent polls indicate the race is statistically even. Democrats have hammered Buck as an extremist for some of the far-right positions he took to outflank Norton, such as his belief that global warming is a hoax and an anti-abortion stance that doesn't include rape or incest as exceptions. Despite headaches in Colorado, Nevada, Kentucky, and Alaska, however, the only Tea Party-backed candidate who is all but out of the running is O'Donnell, who rode the anti-establishment wave to swamp moderate Republican Representative Mike Castle to run for the seat Biden held for more than 30 years. Her surprising win was viewed as a measure of Tea Party strength, and she quickly won the endorsement of Palin, perhaps the movement's most influential member. And that says a lot for the movement if their most influential member is Sarah Palin. 
Youthful and telegenic, O'Donnell quickly snagged the national spotlight, but her campaign, which drew millions from Tea Party members nationwide, nevertheless struggled under the weight of her personal baggage. Her star faded amid reports of unpaid student loans, question about her income and education, her admission that she dabbled in witchcraft as a young adult, and a biting caricature of her on Saturday Night Live. The latest polls show O'Donnell trailing Democrat Chris Coons by about 20 points. And some pundits say her campaign could have cost Republicans the seat they needed to control the Senate. I took a look at the video of Coons and and O'Donnell um, debating recently at a law school. It was the one where she said, hey, there's not, where in the Constitution do they separate church and state? And Coons, in a very lawyer-like way, the guy is a super nerd. I think I like him a lot. I think that Coons is, is going to become a light in the Democratic Party. He's not like charismatic, but he's very bright and he's very straightforward and he's very bald. In any case, he said to her, yeah, the First Amendment. She went, oh, like really? She was gobsmacked. So, hey, Tea Party. Hey, bag it. Well, uh, more Nazis in the news, Dave. This guy, this lot, guy lot won't go away because Suntan Bamer is behind him 100%. Our, what could be, we don't have all the facts in yet today, but what could be the, the new Speaker of the House is standing behind the Nazi recreator, you know, Achtung. Here we go. Well, uh, wait, I, wait a minute. <laughs> Okay, go 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 ahead. I, oh, you just stay. Well, with I just didn't know that you know guys had weekends in Nazi uniforms. This is new to me. I mean, I think this is worth discussing. It's but Ohio, on. Dave. Go, oh, it's I'm Ohio. from Ohio. Uh-huh. It doesn't surprise me. Ohio is a great state, but there's plenty of room and plenty of time on the weekends. All right, all right. Talk this talking points memo. Okay. This, the author says I thought Richard Lott had been put out to pasture after news broke that his main hobby was Nazi reenacting. That would be enough, to, I think, to put a guy off the ballot. No. Uh, after uh, that, Representative Eric Cantor denounced him. And then everything pretty much went downhill from there, and he started saying that he didn't think that uh, we were in a position to judge SS soldiers who did all the cool stuff on the Eastern Front. That's what uh-huh. Lot said. Uh-huh. We're not in a position to judge him. Oh. But apparently Lot is out of the doghouse and back in John Boehmer's house. This, this Saturday, or actually last Saturday, John Boehmer is going to appear at a special pre-election rally with Lot in Toledo. Who exactly told Boehmer or someone on Boehmer's staff this would be a good move on the weekend before Election Day? We're not sure. And it gets worse. The event announcement on Lot's website says, please wear any Lot gear you may have. Oh, no. With any other candidate, I'd figure that'd mean campaign baseball hats and T-shirts. But given Lot's predilections, who knows? Boehmer could end up in a Lenny Riefenstahl moment on his hands. (laughs) Let's see. Do I still have that spare SS uniform hanging in my closet? Yeah, let me see. I like the cap with a peak on it, and I can shine up my shoes and these wonderful double-headed eagle buttons. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and the death's heads, and I can cinch in them. Oh, it's very, very good. Let's go find some women and, you know. Okay, this is from Newsweek, and it's about forcing the Tea Party to do the math. Mike Lee, the Tea Party-backed Senate hopeful from Utah, told a crowd of supporters last week that congressional Republicans want to slash federal spending by 40% next year without cutting the sacred cows of Social Security and defense, right? Those are the, the fact that defense, the, what we mean by defense now and what defense is really spending and what we're getting for it, that it should be a sacred cow. We should be eating that cow. We should be having that cow for dinner. 
Tea Party candidates love to talk about fiscal austerity. They say that President Obama has been on a dangerous spending binge and that only they have the fortitude and courage to stop him. But they rarely get specific about how, exactly, they intend to balance the budget. Thankfully, Lee now has. The only problem? His specifics are bonkers. The numbers speak for themselves. President Obama's proposed budget for fiscal 2011, which Congress has yet to approve, totals $3.83 trillion and allows for a deficit of $1.267 trillion. To balance the budget exclusively by cutting spending, as opposed to raising revenue, Congress would have to trim federal outlays by 33% overall. That alone sounds extreme. In Britain, David Cameron's proposed cuts of 20% are expected to cost the country an estimated 500,000 jobs. But Lee's plan goes way, way further. Instead of simply slashing spending, Lee and his compadres want to extend the Bush tax cuts for everyone earning more than $250,000 a year, leave Social Security and defense untouched, right? This makes balancing the budget much more difficult. Let's tackle the revenue side of the equation first. Under Obama's 2011 budget, the Bush tax cuts would expire for the more than $250,000 crowd, a move that would produce an estimated boost of up to $402 billion in revenue. By extending the Bush cuts, however, Lee and company would forego that extra revenue, meaning they'd start out with a $402 billion less spending money than Obama and a deficit of $1.669 trillion. Closing this bigger budget gap would require a bigger overall spending cut, 44% to be exact, hence Lee's estimate of 40%. But here's the rub. By taking defense and Social Security off the table, Lee and company would be required to carve that 44% out of a much smaller slice of the pie and therefore make much larger cuts to the programs that would be affected. The math is simple and bleak. In Obama's budget, Social Security cost about $787 billion, defense cost $928 billion, debt payments $250 billion. Together, they total about $2 trillion. If you remove that $2 trillion from the equation, as Lee suggests, you're left with $1.8 trillion in spending to work with. At this point, balancing the budget, wringing $1.6, $1.7 trillion in savings out of the last $1.8 or $9 trillion would require slashing every government program that's not defense or social security, Medicaid, Medicare, Veterans Affairs, Education, by 89.6%. Tea Partiers eat it up when candidates like Lee say, let's shrink the government by 40%. But this is what he's actually proposing, even if he's now hedging under pressure. The Tea Party is right. We need to have a conversation about debt, deficits, and government spending. But it has to take place in the real world, a place where entitlement reform, defense cuts, and yes, tax increases are all viable options and not in fantasy land. It's simply not possible to slash enough spending to balance the budget while simultaneously cutting taxes and maintaining our current expenditures on entitlements and defense. Voters shouldn't take Mike Lee and his ilk seriously until they stop pretending. And I wonder when that will be. Well, here we are on Election Day, all waiting to find out what's going to happen 
Will America get through it? <laughs> you know, it, they'll, we'll get through it. It's, you know, it's just going to be a very, very interesting time. Cursed to be in those times, say the Chinese. Let the Chinese give us more than that curse. Dave. Well, you know, you know, Peter, I thought I'd give you uh, and everybody out there the what I think is probably the first Chinese movie. Oh, okay. This okay. this poem is really a movie. Stick with me. It's a little longer than usual, but I think I think you'll like it. And it's an anonymous poem. And dig this from about two hundred or three hundred A.D. Okay. okay, right, yeah, all right. And it's so, a costume drama. It's a costume. It's drama. a period piece. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. It's called Mulberry by the Path. The sun rises at the southeastern corner and shines upon our Chin family's house. The Chin clan has a fair daughter. She is called Lo Fu. Lo Fu likes to work with silkworms and mulberry leaves. She picks mulberry leaves at the wall's south corner. Green silk strands form the basket cord. A cassia twig forms the basket handle. On her head, a falling chignon. On her ears, bright moon pearls. Of yellow silk, her skirt below. Of purple silk, her jacket above. The passers-by who see low foo put down their loads and stroke their beards. The young fellows who see low foo take off their caps and adjust their headcloths. The tillers forget their plows, the hoers forget their hoes, when they go home and find fault and are wroth just because they've looked at Lofu. The prefect comes from the south. His five steeds stop and hesitate. The prefect sends his men to ask, Who is this pretty woman? The Chin clan has a fair daughter. She is called Lofu. What is Lo Fu's age? Not quite twenty yet, a little more than fifteen. The prefect asks Lo Fu, would she ride with him? Lo Fu steps forward and replies, How stupid is the prefect? The prefect has his own wife. Lo Fu has her own husband. In the east, among many more than a thousand horsemen, my husband holds the top position. How can you recognize my husband? A white horse walks behind a black colt. With green silk strands is tied the horse's tail. With yellow gold is harnessed the horse's head. At his hip, a sword with a pulley hilt worth more than a million. At fifteen, he was a county clerk. At twenty, provincial court counselor. At thirty, palace attendant. At forty, lord governor. His personal appearance, a pure white complexion, fine hair, and a slight beard, slow as his pace as he becomes a dignitary. With stately, graceful steps, he moves around the office. The thousands of men assembled there all say, My husband looks superior. Well, that is a movie, man. That's the kind of government I'd like to be voting in today. Well, well, we'll do the very best you can. Radio Free Oz is brought to you by the Oz Team. We're going to get you through the next couple of years. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. My co-host, David Osmond. Our sound engineer and the man that produces with us, Dave Maloney. We have Phil Fountain. 
Oh, Phil Fountain, he does. Oz Design Group makes things look so pretty. Kelly Brewer has been working on our syndication and our outreach and our editing. Uh, Scott Wilde is organizing and composing and writing up the website and keeping us atop social networking. Tom Gedwillo, well, he is our webmaster and doing a masterful job. And Chaz Glass, man, he just keeps the numbers right and keeps us straight. What a great team it is. See you tomorrow. Hopefully there will be a tomorrow.